Well, we're uh, going to do part two of last week's message, and um, I've entitled today's message, Powerless Ghosts. Powerless Ghosts. Powerless, like a ghost. Powerless Ghosts. Powerless Ghosts is the title of today's message. So we'll start out with our scripture text for today. Powerless ghosts is the subject of the message. We're going to read from Isaiah chapter 26, verse 13 and verse 14. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 13 and 14. And I'm going to be reading from the Amplified Translation. I'll read from the King James first, then I'll read you Amplified. King James says, O Lord our God, after, excuse me, other lords besides thee have had dominion over us. But by thee or by you only we will make mention of your name. They are dead, they shall not live. They are deceased, they shall not rise. Therefore have you visited and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. In the Amplified Translation, verse 13 of Isaiah 26 says, O Lord our God, other masters besides you have ruled over us. But we will acknowledge and mention your name only. They, the former tyrant masters, are dead. They shall not live and reappear. They are powerless ghosts. They shall not rise and come back. Therefore you have visited and made an end of them and caused every memory of them, every trace of their supremacy, to perish. We could, like, go home now. <laughs> I'm going to read verse 14 again in the Amplified, actually 13 and 14. O Lord our God, other masters besides you have ruled over us, but we will acknowledge and mention your name only. They, the former tyrant masters, are dead. They shall not live and reappear. They are powerless ghosts. They shall not rise and come back. Therefore you have visited and made an end of them. And caused every memory of them, every trace of their supremacy, to perish. It's the time when a preacher, you feel like, why should I say anything that said it so well? Uh, but he has ordained uh, pastors. And uh, because we need pastors. I need a pastor. You need a pastor. We need a prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Uh, till we all kind of are perfected in the faith. So I'm not perfected in the faith. And uh, I guess you're not perfected in the faith either because Jesus would really come back if we all were. So <clears throat> we're thankful. So he's talking about these former masters, these former uh, tyrants, these former rulers are actually just powerless ghosts. And when I woke up Tuesday morning... I had a, I woke up and in my dream I was preaching and I was preaching a message and then this verse came out and I thought, well, that's just, just, just for me, that's wonderful. And then as I began to check in my heart about the week's message and I thought, oh my goodness, that's even wonderful because it's Halloween tomorrow. <laughs> so we can talk about ghosts. And, um, you know, I think of when I was a child, and you get scared of ghosts. You said, at some point growing up, you start hearing about ghosts. And when I drive to my house right now, right before I cross railroad tracks, 
there's this, this house that has this blow-up ghost. Uh, it's a costume, of course. And uh, it's a scary ghost. I would appreciate it if they didn't have that, because I don't want my kids to like, see like, this scary ghost, right? But um, anyhow, they have it. And uh, so I, I think about that, and I'm like, why does it have to be such a scary ghost? And then you see, of course, this time of year with, uh, uh, I don't watch a lot of TV, but probably what's on TV and advertisements and stuff like that, that you have um, things that try to scare people. And some people like to go to horror movies and like a big thrill and everything like that. And, you know, of course, that's all pretend. It's a movie. They're like making it up. Um, But it's amazing that something pretend, excuse me, even this ghost in somebody's yard that uh, uh, someone without understanding could see that and be affected by it, right? So you see like little children many times, like they can't go to sleep at night because they have this uh, image in their head that got there. And they, even that particular image, that thing is just made of air. And it's you know, one of those that flutters like this, you know. And uh, it has no power. But it has imagery, and so it actually affects the children. And so I remember, I think it was Evie, uh, and she's the first one, obviously, because she's our oldest, that we've experienced so many things with. And so we were in a little apartment, maybe, uh, well, maybe a good size, 1,000 square foot apartment up in Michigan. And uh, I remember her saying, there's a monster in my closet. And uh, I went and looked for the monster. <laughs> I knew there wasn't a monster, but I thought, well, maybe there's something that's making shadows and looks scary to her. And um, it was nothing. And uh, of course, you can have, and that's not the subject of the message today, but I should mention it, you can have uh, certain uh, demonic activity that's trying to scare people and do different things, and, and uh, we have authority over that. And uh, there's not been too many times, but there's been a few times uh, when you kind of sense in your spirit, something like that's trying to like scare your children. We take authority over it and it goes and there's no issue. But so many times it's actually just like, uh, I think the mind developing and different things where, where children get scared by that, but it ends up being nothing. And the light of day comes and they're fine and everything's gone. And you know, uh, the, the fear leaves. But if you don't get them to overcome that fear, if you don't help them to overcome that fear, it actually paralyzes them, yet it has no power. And so last week, we talked and we read 2 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 8, be sober, be, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brothers that are in the world. And then verse 6, to give it context, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, okay? So that's the context of what we're talking about. Well, you realize that if you're going to carry a bunch of cares and worry and stress and anxiety, uh, you have just opened the door for the roaring lion to actually have the ability to get to you. Because he walks about as a roaring lion, 
trying to deceive you, trying to make a picture that's not true, that doesn't exist. But if he can get you to respond to the picture, it's just as if the picture existed. So you, you look at little Evie, and she's afraid of this monster in the closet that doesn't exist. But she's acting as if it does. So it might as well exist. It might as well be there because she's afraid to get out of the bed, afraid to do whatever, just, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy. She won't open the door. So I open the door and turn on the light. And, you know, she's like kind of stunned, like there's not something there. Because to her, it was that real. And so uh, that's how the devil works in our lives is he appears that real. And... um, he appears to be like the truth, the reality of the situation. But really, John 10.10 tells us what the devil's all about. The devil came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So <clears throat> when, you, when you look at walking in the light as Jesus is in the light... And you look at following the Lord and living a strong, victorious, overcoming life through Jesus Christ. That's how you do it. How I do it is through Jesus Christ. I love the scripture that says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. So I'm not going to live a successful Christian life if I'm looking at the worries and the fears, and what the devil did to this person, and how this person died young, and how this person had this, and this person had that, if that becomes my focus, now I'm actually moving in the direction of my focus. So I am thinking more about that. I'm meditating more on that. And so that actually gets a bigger place in my life. So if I think that there's a monster in the closet... And I just keep thinking, there's a monster in the closet. He's going to eat me. What am I going to do? There's a monster in the closet. There's a monster in the closet. Uh, And somebody says, uh, you know, Jesus has authority over the monster in the closet. I know, but there's a monster in the closet. I get that, but this is my focus. This is in front of my face right now. This is here right now. So uh, I I need this dealt with. And so we almost get to the point where we don't hear anything else because we're so focused on the monster in the closet And so in living our Christian life, uh, there was a professor at Baylor University uh, that said, you know, it's like climbing a mountain. Any, Any part of scripture, any belief in scripture, when you're looking at a particular scripture, you climb that mountain and you look out to the east and you have one view, you look out to the west, you can have a completely different view. Actually, you can look to the south and have a completely different view in the mountains. And so um, uh, one viewpoint is that Uh, you know, you have to put all of your attention and all of your focus because the devil is arrayed against you and he's attacking you. And so you focus on all that. And sometimes people, I think, uh, have a good heart, but inadvertently get off and the focus becomes the devil, deliverance, this, that, and everything. And so your focus is the devil where you could actually be up on the same mountain, look a little different direction, and you look at the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, so that we don't have to endure the cross, so that we don't have to be focused on all of the evil, all of the bad, all of the anxiety, all of the trouble, because he actually took all of it on himself on the cross, 
all sickness, all disease, all infirmity, all lack, all problems, all stresses. He actually not only took it, he went under the power of it and took it with him to hell. And then really what happened is the devil himself uh, and all of his imps and and, uh, demons and uh, those around him, those that followed him, were rejoicing on that day when Jesus was crucified because they set this up. They set this great plot up and they surrounded him and made him, they thought, so that he couldn't escape. But we know he said he could call 10,000s of legions. I mean, you know how many, you know how many um, angels that would be? But he said, I freely give up my life. No man take it from me. But it doesn't matter. The devil still was like, I got this. I've got him, you know, surrounded and, you know, sold out for 30 pieces of silver. And, you know, we got him, we got him. Well, I mean, I never really said this before, but it's like Jesus was one of the greatest Trojan horses you've ever seen. (laughs) Because they're thinking like, okay, this is no big deal. This is no big deal. Except for we got him. So this is a huge deal. So this is the end. So I told you, you know how, uh, well, I, I'll make you feel good. So maybe you've never been in pride in anything. So I know how I've been in pride before. And you start to think like, well, well, I could do that. I could, you know, and you get my little kids, you get that a lot. Well, I could do that, daddy. I could do that. And I'm like, well, I don't really think you can do that. No, I can do that. I can do that. And um, uh, you start to get blinded. You know, pride blinds you. And so who is the author of pride, really? It's the devil himself. And so he doesn't see clearly. Like when we are humbling ourselves before under the mighty hand of God, we can see clear because we're coming under the hand of God. But when we don't, we actually are clouded. And we do things that we wouldn't normally do that don't make any sense. And so the devil was so blinded by pride, he's like, we got him. Because he thought, I mean, if you are in your right mind right now, and you could stop and think and just reason it out, don't even think spiritually, and think if you believe that God is like all-powerful, and he created everything, and then the devil believed that he would like conquer God, like that makes no sense. You know he has to be twisted you know, he's, and so he's so full of that. And so he got so excited because we have just killed the Lord of glory. We have overcome him and all of this, you know, and um, he was in obviously for a very rude awakening because Jesus then became so much one of us that he could actually legally take our place in hell. And he did with all of our sins, all our iniquities, all of our sicknesses. And then he threw it off and gained victory over it on our behalf. So that's how human he became. He became so human that he could actually take our place, take our punishment, take our penalty. And then he threw it all off. And of course, then... uh, The devil realized, you know, this is like not good for me. 
And he didn't even realize, of course, the scope of it, that then Christ would now live not just in one man named Jesus Christ, but would live in all believers, through all believers, because Jesus ascended up on high into the heavenly holies of holies and um, uh, obtained a forever redemption for us. Praise God. So when we look at living our life and living a victorious life, if we're going to focus on what the devil has done and what the devil does and uh, what we have experienced, rather than focusing on the author and the finisher of our faith, it's real easy to get uh, tripped up and stuck up there. And all of a sudden, uh, you realize that you're becoming uh, demon-focused or devil-focused or evil-focused or whatever your focus happens to be, like bad things-focused. And if the devil can get us there, he can really kind of control us because then what happens is uh, you will start to see like, well, that's, uh, and, and it may well be, but your focus becomes this. You say, well, what that person's going through, that's a demonic attack. And so, and then and also what that person's going through, that's a demonic attack. And you start to approach things only from the demonic attack side. And so let me bring it home to our personal lives. So where we say, you know, I have all these cares coming against me, anxieties, troubles, pressures, stresses, and we start to focus on, okay, well, uh, this, is, this is overpowering me, so I, I'm casting on the Lord, okay, this, and, and I'm casting this on the Lord, I'm casting this on the Lord, rather than simply believing that Jesus took this on himself, that he bore this, and that what he told us is he said, and we're going to read the, the other scripture as well this morning. He said, humble yourselves, casting all your cares upon me. You know, I'm putting it in first person. And then James 4, 7. Let's look at James 4, 7 real quick. Just a couple pages back. I went way back. Uh, let's start with verse 6, but James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Keep reading. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so we see that without Jesus Christ, we're no match for the devil. I mean, the devil's been around for thousands of years, and he knows flesh. He knows how to tempt you and me to flesh out, right? So he knows, he has tactics, all this type of stuff. So if we're going to try to wage this battle without Jesus Christ, uh, most of the time you're going to lose. I mean, you're made in the likeness, mankind is made in the likeness and the image of Almighty God, so you, you really have somewhat of dominion and power just to stand against because you're made in the likeness and the image of God. But you're not on solid ground unless you're submitting to Jesus Christ. And so we see through two witnesses, James and Peter, that we humble ourselves coming under the mighty hand of God. In other words, we're saying, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you to work in this situation. Now I'm going to resist. So we're resisting based on what he has done. We're resisting based on his accomplishments. We're resisting based on his blood. Because you know, uh, you know your faults pretty well. 
most of the time. And because you know your faults pretty well, if someone uh, would like to point them out for you, uh, you might get a little sensitive about it. <laughs> like, you did that, you said this, or you did it. And um, that's because you're so familiar with your faults and you don't like your faults. I don't like my faults. I'm sure you don't like your faults. And so uh, if we're going to try to uh, come against the devil, come against his attacks based on our own selves and our own doings, you're on shaky ground because you make mistakes and you mess up. But Jesus Christ never made a mistake, never will make a mistake, and never messed up. And he took all of your mistakes, all of my mistakes, uh, all of our, uh, the things we didn't know, the things we did know, and you could go on and on. He took it all on himself and conquered it and delivered us from the power of the enemy. And he actually took Satan himself and paraded him through the streets of glory, open naked, right? The term, one translation says naked, meaning, what does that mean? Like uh, when someone is naked, there is nothing to hide behind. And so he paraded him in all of his defeat and all of his inability and all of his smallness uh, so that all of the demons could see, all of the angels could see, uh, every being could see that this, this being who was big, puffed, roaring like a lion is actually a windbag, is actually nothing. It's actually like uh, when I was a kid, uh, I saw The Wizard of Oz, so that would have been probably in the 80s. So I know they have a new one. I don't know. I didn't, don't see that. But anyhow, where you, know, you have like the wizard, the great Wizard of Oz, and they pull back the curtain, and it's just this little old man in a microphone like fumbling around. And uh, that's kind of like the devil. Like he sounds big and seems big, and he's really like a powerless ghost. And things that in our past have occurred that even we have done is really powerless ghost unless we give it power. But the truth is, the truth of the word is, it's a powerless ghost. So the same way that this uh, you know, little kid might be afraid of a monster and there's no power in that monster, the devil wants us to be afraid of the monster in the closet that doesn't even exist. And so you know, the good thing about God is he can wipe his memory better than bleach bit. Like, he can, like, just totally wipe it out. In other words, he'll cast your sins when you confess your sins into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west according to his ability. So however much ability God has to remove your sins from you, uh, that's what he's done. He said, I will remember your sins no more. Well, the devil will remember, especially if he was involved in causing you to trip and then blaming it on you. And so he'll bring a picture back. But what do you do? What do I do with that picture? Excuse me. If we just think on that picture, start to focus on that monster, start to think like, oh, I did do that. That's terrible. Whoa. What's wrong with me? Why would I do that? Oh. I messed up again. What's going on with me? So all of a sudden now, this was just an image that the devil tried to bring back, a memory that the devil tried to bring back. Uh, Why? Because he's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. Because he wants access to your life, and he is um, powerless. He has no ability. He is a liar. 
he's just full of wind. He's just talking. But if he can get you to believe his talking, if he can get you to believe his instant replay and say like, that is me, isn't it? Instead of, you know what? Sure, that happened. But the blood of Jesus removes that from me. And the blood of Jesus gives me access to God. And the blood of Jesus uh, allows me to be perfect in the sight of God. In fact, devil, when God looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees the blood of Jesus. So you're trying to fight this battle with me. I'm not fighting with you. I resist you under the mighty hand of God. And so you have to go against the mighty hand of God, the name of Jesus. And he knows what happened with that. And actually, in James, where it says, resist the devil and he will flee, um, it is to run from as in terror. Okay? So what we need to do is to resist the devil or resist the anxiety, resist the stress, resist the sickness, resist the disease, and it has to go. And so what does resist mean? Well, I looked it up in the dictionary and um, a couple different dictionaries, and some of the meanings of those dictionaries are to withstand, to combat, to weather. You know what that means? Like you're going to weather the storm. So these people, they just had a hurricane down in Florida, and they're like, we're going to weather the storm. So we're going to hunker down. We're going to resist it. We're not going to let it make us move. We are going to stay right here. And most of them are be like, we are going to be fine. Endure, uh, to be resistant to. Okay, so um, I think every preacher should have children to make sure your illustration is a lot easier. So, although Keith and Phyllis Moore do pretty good without kids. Okay, so anyhow, um, I have children and four of them. And so I might say, uh, you know, I'm more interested really in attitude issues than I am uh, so much in actions. I mean, I want certain actions, but I really want to know if you did a wrong action, uh, were you being rebellious uh, or did you just, you know, have an airhead moment or whatever? That's, that's fine. Okay. I, I get that. We're all human. But if you have a bad attitude, we have to ad- address the attitude because the attitude will affect your life, right? Same thing as an adult. And so um, sometimes my children are resistant to the correction and not even to the, not also not only to the correction, but they're resistant to getting rid of the bad attitude. Like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this. Like, you ever seen the illustration where you have like a, a little kid in the corner, you know, he's like, I'm standing up on the outside, but I'm sitting down on the inside. You know, like, I'm going to physically do what you said, but I'm, you know, you're like holding back like that. He's resisting. Okay. And so another definition is to strive against, to oppose in some manner. And so we are to resist the work of the enemy, but humble ourselves or come under or submit to God. And so when we submit to God, we're actually giving him access. So if you think of my, one of my children, and you know, I have other times when I will talk to them and say, so-and-so, um, you know, that's a bad attitude. We're not going to act like that. And you, you, almost, you almost can visibly hear or audibly hear, excuse me, <gasps> okay, daddy, I'm sorry. I'm happy now. I'm doing this now. 
wow, they just came under me. They just submitted to my way, right? And I'm imperfect. But when we come under God's way and we say like, oh, no, I, I've, got to de- I've got to deal with this myself. I've got to take care of this. I've got-. And the Lord's saying, no, 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 no. Don't resist me. Like, come under, come under so I can work, so you can be free of this, right? Because uh, I just had an incident, of course, I won't tell which one, with one of my kids this week that was resisting. And it was like, um, I mean, it seemed like a long time, but it was probably only 10 minutes or something, you know what I mean? But you're, you're dealing with it, and you're training, and it's like, uh, the more that you try to redirect, it's like, the more, okay, okay, I'm getting set, okay. You know, they're getting more and more and more set in. And so, Sometimes I believe we do that in the reverse. We do that verse in reverse. And so we resist God and submit to the devil. Meaning because uh, maybe whatever circumstances we're more conscious of our flesh or just sometimes, you know, on your flesh it does feel really good to just yell or scream or whatever, you know, like that, flesh out. And so we find ourselves actually resisting God, because what happens? The Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. He will never force anything on you. Uh, but the devil is not a perfect gentleman. He will force and twist and control and do anything you, you, he'll let, you'll let him do, right? So um, you yield to the Holy Ghost, but you're possessed of a demon. You can be, you know what I mean? Um, not a Christian in your spirit, but that's a different subject. So, but we sometimes get that verse in reverse so that we start to look at a, a, a worry that we have that's coming against us, uh, some pressure that comes against us, and we kind of start to focus on that. And you almost have, like I said last week, it almost becomes like you're a little precious. Like, I've got to have this, like, I, like, you feel so insecure if you don't have this. If you let this go, the lie is that uh, things are going to fall apart, that nothing's going to work. Uh, but the truth is, the quickest way to get God working on it is to let it go and to come under his hand. So it's almost comical to think about it because when you think about it, you, you come under the mighty hand of God by humbling yourself. We come under his hand by humbling ourselves. And if you're coming under his hand, then you can experience what he can do for you, what he can do in the situation. But if you're refusing to come under his hand, how do we expect to experience his life, his nature, what he's accomplished, what he will accomplish, what he's doing? Because we're refusing to come under him. And so the reason that that can be confusing and the reason that we find ourselves uh, in that place is because the devil is a deceiver. And the devil does not look ugly. He's actually was one of the most beautiful. And he goes around as an angel of light, as a messenger of light and goodness. And so many times what he says is going to... uh, sound good. So like, no, 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 you you really need to take care of this because no one else is going to take care of this. You know, that's a very, uh, a statement full of a lot of pride. And so, but in the moment, we don't always recognize it that way. And that's why it's so important for us to 
um, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Especially, honestly, um, I, uh, I was in a, uh, worked for the Department of Defense and uh, did intelligence analysis. And um, I really have certain, I guess, natural giftings for analysis. And so I'm very good at it. Uh, they tell me and it seems like. So it's something that I would almost do automatically and not think about it. And sometimes the areas where you have these natural giftings are the areas where you have to pay the closest attention because you can find yourself relying upon that instead of relying upon God. And so when I'm ministering to you or someone one-on-one, I have learned that I don't uh, look at a situation that way. from the standpoint of analysis. I have learned to look to my heart because I could look at someone and say, well, I can figure that out. You know, well, when you're talking about spiritual things, that is very presumptuous because um, the Holy Spirit can do more in 30 seconds than I could ever do in a lifetime. The Holy Spirit knows exactly the words, knows exactly the examples, knows exactly the situations that you or I need to see or hear or experience so that we will keep our faith in God. And um, the Holy Spirit, um, I like, is it B.B. Hankins said, the Holy Spirit's a genius. He'll make you look smart if you listen to him. If you don't listen to him, you'd look just average, like everybody else. Meaning we have like a source on the inside of us. I mean, you, you realize he will show you things that are going to happen. That's what Jesus said. And so you can know the future. Not all the future, but the things that he sees fit to show you. He'll show you things to come, Jesus said. And so, um, you know, we don't have to walk in the dark and not know. So many times what happens is we allow these powerless ghosts to become powerful ghosts. So we give them the power. We fuel them uh, through our thoughts, through our actions, through our words. And really, that's the only source of power they have in your life, in the life of a believer. Because the believer really is over, uh, over them. So um, think also about uh, somebody that's resisting arrest, what's going to happen? So like you're going to go to be arrested. Well, they're going to they're going to flee. They're going to run, or they're going to like try to get away or go somewhere else. And um, that's what we are uh, to do with the devil. In other words, we just resist him, steadfast in the faith. What does that mean, steadfast in the faith? Well, you have to come back next week. I will do a little close. Steadfast in the faith or in your faith. Well, if someone has faith in God, how do you know it? Well, uh, what would you say if someone was a uh, worshiper of Allah, which is not the one true Jehovah God? Well, uh, you could sometimes notice that because they have a prayer rug and they face certain ways and they do certain things, they have certain routines. Well, that is actually a a religion, a a methodology, a practice, okay? And we have what's called a relationship. Uh, So based on our relationship, 
you would actually see certain things in our lives that would be different than other people's lives. In other words, oh, that person must be a Christian or must be a worshiper of Jesus Christ. And so um, resist steadfast in the faith or in your faith would mean that actually when anxiety comes, when troubles come, when fear comes, we respond based on what we believe to be true, not based on what our senses tell us. So if I feel surrounded and pressured and overcome, then I'm actually coming under the mighty hand of God and I refuse to go that direction and come under that and submit to that. I go God's direction and submit to him and I have faith in God. So therefore, I actually act as if I'm free and I act as if I'm not anxious. What would I do if I wasn't anxious? Well, I guess I'd go outside and have a good time with my kids. I guess I'd get up and I'd go cook dinner. I guess I'd get up and I'd start shouting because I know what it feels like to feel like you're not free, but I believe I am. And so you see, actually, our praises enable God to work because we get our focus off of the problem and onto God himself. And so you look at in Acts uh, was it 625 and also 2 Chronicles chapter 20, uh, where you find Paul and Silas and Acts, they're in prison, in jail, they're in bonds, physically in bonds. And at midnight, they prayed and sang praises to God and the prisoners heard them. And then in the Old Testament, you see uh, Jehoshaphat and all the host and the armies are arrayed against them and the Lord, they sought the Lord and the Lord said, you're not going to have to fight in this battle. Go out against them. And then when, the next day when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord sent ambushments against the enemy and not only destroyed them, but gave them all of the spoils, all of the riches of the enemy. And they didn't even have to fight. But what they had to do was change their focus from themselves, change their focus from the enemy and put their focus on God. And so begin to praise God and look to God and honor God. And then, whew, I know times when I've been attacked uh, mentally or any way or stress or pressures, and you begin to lift your voice and praise the Lord, it's almost like you can see that thing fading away like a mist in the sunlight. It just starts to go away. And all of a sudden you rise above the situation because now you're actually seeing the reality that you're up in heavenly places seated with Christ Jesus far above all the work of the enemy. And so you're no longer under that cloud, but you're over it, seated, seated with Christ in heavenly places. Praise God. Let's read Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20. As we close, Second Chronicles, uh, I'll start with verse, uh, second part of verse 20. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. This is right after he sought the Lord, and this is what the Lord is uh, speaking through him. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he had appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness, that they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord sent ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. 
In verse 25, and when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days and gathering up the spoils, for it was so much. So you better watch out if you start praising the Lord and giving him access because you may find yourself for days and days and days gathering in the spoils, gathering in the spoils, gathering in the spoils. Because what have you done? You have just ushered in the king of glory into your situation on the spot. Uh, Because what happened? We humble ourselves. We come under the mighty hand of God and we say, okay, Lord, I'm looking to you and I'm looking to you only. For you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Your mercy endures forever. Stand with me. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Say that with me. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Again. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Mean it when you say it. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we praise your name. You are so good. You are so gracious. You are so kind. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher of our faith. We look unto you, the author and the finisher. Father, we look unto you for the joy set before you. Oh, Father, we thank you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that he has done. Oh, Father, we thank you. Thank you that we're not subject or under or overpowered by the devil. Oh, Father, or by our thoughts or by our flesh. Father, thank you that you have given us dominion. And we stand in the place of dominion by the power of Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we thank you. Thank you for the name which is above every name. Oh, Father, we bow before that name. We bow before Jesus, our Lord. We declare Jesus is Lord. Again, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Glory to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you watch over your word to perform it. And we commit this day that we will walk in light and in line with your word. We will be doers of your word, giving you access, giving you glory, magnifying you with our lips, with our tongues, with our lives, with our bodies, offering ourselves a living sacrifice to you. Father, we thank you. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for giving us your your life and your nature, setting us above all the work of the enemy. 
We thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.